You know, each week during this series, we've uh, started with the same portion of Scripture. It was written by the Apostle Paul, and it's a foundational uh, passage. It's uh, kind of this whole series was built on uh, this series, Anxiousness. And uh, the context, well, Paul's been arrested uh, unjustly for preaching the gospel, And he's in prison, he's appealed his case to Rome, and he's awaiting trial. And basically, he doesn't know if he's going to get released or be executed. And so you expect that he'd be worrying, you know, fretting, freaking out a little bit, and that he would be just full of fear and anxiety. But under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes these words to his friends that are at the Philippian church, And he writes this, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Here's what we're going to do. Present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, I learned that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will protect your hearts and your minds. See, I believe that with God, that worries and fears can be calmed. I believe with God, it's possible, truly, to be anxiousless. See, I believe with God, all things are possible. And I think some of you know that, too. You know, some of you right now are uh, facing decisions. In fact, I'm just curious, how many of you are facing some kind of big decision? You know, and what happens, the weight of that decision, it is heavy. And it causes your mind to race. And you get worried. Uh, And the fact is, statistically, we know that when people experience the most anxiety is when they have a decision to make. You know, what do I do next? You know, what if I make the wrong decision? And so the fear, the anxiety can kind of paralyze you at a point. Sometimes that that process of, of making a decision is very, very complicated. You know, should I take this job or that one? You know, should I uh, stay home and go to college or should I go off to college somewhere? You know, should I relocate to a different city or stay put in my life? You know, should I make this investment? Should I uh, buy a house or continue renting? You know, should I uh, commit to this relationship? Doesn't seem to be going anywhere. Or do I move on? See, decisions can be stressful. They can get in your head. They can cause complications. You know, psychologists, uh, sociologists tell us that the emerging generations, uh, especially Gen Y and Gen Z, are the most anxious generation in the history of the world. In fact, they have dubbed this the age of anxiety. You know, most experts will tell you that that anxiety generally, not always, but generally is connected to a decision-making process, which makes me kind of wonder why all the anxiety. You know, I, th- I, I have 
tried to kind of work through this. I think there are two main reasons, as I've read and studied on the topic, that we deal with anxiety when we're making decisions. And the first one is we have too many choices to make. They, they call it the paradox uh, of choices. And you, you would think that more choices is good, right? You, you would think more options would be great, but it's not true. It's not true. The, the fact is, you think about this. You know, whether you watch uh, Netflix or Hulu or Disney Plus, whatever, you have this massive library, don't you, of choices, things to, things to watch. And so you ever sit down and you try and figure out what show, what movie, what are we going to watch? And, and it's just like overload sometimes. It's hard to make a decision. And then I was thinking about the last time I was on a flight. I had like 10 choices. Well, it's pretty easy. It's like, no, 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 no. There we go. I'll watch that. It's the paradox of choices. We, we live in an age that we have unlimited opportunities before us. You can go just about anywhere you want. You can do anything you want. The options today, honestly, are overwhelming at, at times. I was reading this uh, article. I thought it was interesting. Uh, Psychology Today had it. And they said the average person in the run of a day makes about 35,000, 35,000 decisions. Think about that. You know, I'm thinking, okay, so average person sleeps seven, eight hours. That's 2,200 choices every hour. Just in the time I've been talking about this article, some of you have made a lot of decisions. You know, one, am I going to believe this or not? Am I going to put my arm on the armrest? You know, am I uh, going to elbow my spouse? Am I uh, going to take a drink? Am I going to check out the notifications on my phone? Some of you have already done that twice while I'm talking. Am I going to acknowledge the person that just walked by? Am I going to check out and play Clash of Clans the rest of the service? You know, choices. You make lots of choices every day. It's a paradox of choices that we have. We have so many, it can actually create anxiety in us. And the other reason, I think, for anxiety is we're afraid of making the wrong choices. We're afraid of missing out on something. You know, we feel the the pressure to, to get things right in our life. And granted, many of the decisions you make are rather insignificant. But other decisions that you make have greater impact. They impact your life. They impact your future. And so those are the weighty things. You know, when it comes to uh, relationships or marriage, there's this idea, got to find that one out there. You know, maybe you're in college right now, and they've told you you have to declare major. And I know because of talking to college age, they, they feel like, they're not ready to make that choice, and they, they definitely feel like it's a choice that's going to affect the next, like, 30 years of their life. I mean, what do you pursue? What do you do? If you have a spiritual bent in your life, you hear people talk, and you go, well, what is God's purpose for my life? And so there's fear. There's worry. You know, what if I make the wrong decision? 
What if I pursue the wrong relationship? What if I declare the the wrong uh, major? You know, what if the person that I was meant to spend the rest of my life with is sitting four rows in front of me right now? What if I miss God's will for my life? Lots of fear, lots of anxiety. And so what happens is decisions make you hesitate. And for some, it makes them procrastinate. You know, it's easy to become indecisive about something, especially the the big things. It's like, yes, no, eh, I'm not sure. And so we get stuck. And just FYI, indecision is a decision. In fact, it's what a lot of people are choosing these days to just push it off. And so what I want to do today, I want to talk about a process for decision-making, a God-honoring process. And there are a lot of things to be considered when you're making decisions. But I want to focus on one spiritual principle that will always, it will always help you, whatever the decision is. You know, the book of uh, Acts, you've got some church leaders, and they're dealing with some very complicated issues. And so you've got the Apostle Paul and Barnabas and James, and they're gathered in Jerusalem, and they're, they're trying to help everyone deal with the, the controversies that are before them. And there are two, two main controversies, uh, and I want to kind of put this in context. The first controversy has to do with whether or not Christians can eat meat that's being sold at the market. And this meat had previously been offered as sacrifices to, to idols. And so that was a big deal. And so they're trying to work through that. And the other controversy, which was very uh, complicated and I think personal, was whether or not men had to be circumcised. And for them to be in the church, they had to take that step. And so you've got these very complicated things. Some people had made these issues of salvation. And so these are kind of the main issues that they're dealing with. Now, I want you to hear this. We're not going to spend our time talking about the issues, all right? I want to focus on the process, all right? So are we clear? You'll have to read, read the chapters and stuff uh, to follow the issues. I want to follow the process. The, the spiritual leaders have gotten together. They're trying to make a decision, a, a very weighty decision, things that had significant implications in, in people's lives. And it says this in Acts 15:22. It says, Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They're, they're choosing a couple men to accompany to go to other churches and talk on this issue. But what I want you to pick up on is the first uh, four words there. Then it seemed good. It seemed good. It seemed right to the apostles, to the leaders, to the whole church. They, they came to an agreement together and they select a couple, couple people that are going to accompany Paul and Barnabas to these other churches to, to talk on these issues. Two more times in the chapter, if you read the entire chapter, they use that same phrase, it seemed good. It seemed good. In Acts uh, 15.25, it says, it seemed good to us having become one mind. 
And then again in Acts 15, 28, it says, For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. They're trying to address these issues, and they found guidance from the Holy Spirit. Again, what I want to focus on is that phrase, it seemed good. It seemed good. It was part of their process. So what do you do when you have a decision to make? In fact, a lot of decisions that we make, there's, Scripture doesn't speak to it. So what do you do? Doing what seems good seems right, doesn't it? But here's the challenge or the tension, you might say, is there's also an Old Testament scripture that I turn to many times in my life. There's a way that seems right to a person, but in the end is the way of death or leads to destruction. You might have learned it that way. It seemed good. It seems right, but it leads to destruction in life. Now I just amped up a lot of people's anxiety, haven't I? What? Here's the problem. If you surround yourself with people that are not close to God, if you listen to people's opinions that are different from God's truths, if you follow and believe the, the wrong posts, the wrong blogs, the wrong books, if you're following worldly values instead of God-honoring values, what seems right oftentimes is wrong. Now, don't raise your hand, but how many of you have ever found yourself in the wrong crowd, listening to the wrong things, surrounded by the wrong influences? In fact, how many of you have come to a point in your life where you realize something that you thought was right, actually, you discovered it was wrong? See, there's a way, there's a way that seems right, but in the end, it leads to death. So, so you got the church leaders in the story that we're looking at, they're gathering it seemed good to them. The church got together. It seemed good. The leaders sought the Holy Spirit. It seemed good. The church chooses some people to be representatives. The church is making decisions. It seemed good. It seemed right. Now get this. There's a difference between something that seems right and leads to death and something that is right. That's the tension. And friends, that's why the community of faith, that's why the church is so vital, is so important in life. And you've got to get this. The church is more than the building. We've said that since our inception. We are not the building. The church is more than a place that you gather and worship once a week. I mean, if the cardinals aren't in town, if the kids don't have sports activities, 
if it's not nice enough to do something else or it's not too bad where it's easy to stay home, oh, well, hey, I want to go to church. No, 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 no. We've got to understand the church. The church is not a place we go. We are the church. We gather to worship. We gather to pray. We gather to study God's word and to grow and to find guidance and encouragement. See, we are to love one another, encourage one another. We are to gather together. Why? Because we are the church, Christ followers. Why do you feel so much anxiety? Well, many times the issue is we're trying to follow Jesus. We're trying to please God. We're trying to do what's right while functioning outside of God's design, while trying to function outside the church, trying to function outside the body of Jesus Christ. See, we are the body of Christ, spiritually speaking. We are incomplete by ourselves. We need each other. And we need each other when it comes to decisions. See, as a, as a body, we gather. You know, in Scripture, there's uh, uh, what is known as the one another uh, Scriptures. There's over 100 of them. They're, they're things like um, accept one another encourage one another, build up one another, bear one another's burdens, you know, admonish one another, comfort and forgive and pray for one another, love one another, and on and on it goes. It seemed good. It was not a decision that was made in isolation. It's not a decision that's based on feelings. Oh, I feel like this is what I should do. It was a decision that's made in the community of faith. Community of faith that's pursuing God. Pursuing what's God honoring in life. Friends, do not, do not complicate your decisions. And do not underestimate your tendency. We all have it to make the wrong choice. See, with God, with the community of faith, the decision-making process can actually be purified. You know, during this series, I, I have said over and over that if it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to what? To pray about. You know, anxiety. Anxiety is that signal in your life that says it's time to pray. It's time to take this to God. And we've said you don't always have the power to control everything. In fact, (laughs) there are a lot of things you just can't control. But you always have the power to surrender to God, to surrender up whatever it is you're struggling with. You know, and last week we talked about the power of praise. You praise God. Not just for what he does in your life. You should always do that. But you praise God for who he is. 
then you should always do that. And as you praise God, you need to praise God in the midst of the difficulty, in the midst of the struggles of life. And praise may not take away your anxiety, or it may, but praise will always change your perspective on things. Christ followers, how do you make a decision in your life when it it feels weighty, when you don't want to make the wrong choice, when when you're afraid that maybe you're going to miss out on something, when you're worried about any decision in your life, here we go again, if it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about in your life. And as you pray about that, God begins to work. See, we seek God with a posture of prayer. We seek God with praise. And when we do that, it changes our perspective. We're able to see through whatever it is. You know, as you pursue in prayer, as you pursue Scripture, as you pursue praise, what you find is you find guidance in your life. And it's what we do as a community, not in isolation. The body of Christ, the church, the community of faith, it allows you and me to to seek God. And as other people speak into our lives, it gives us checks and balances along the way. So what? So, so we can move in the direction that seems good, that seems right. It's part of the godly process for decision-making. We need each other. You know, it's a, it's a bit like uh, the GPS in your car, you know. You, you've all probably got it or it's on your phone. And that GPS says, turn right. Now, I'm dyslexic, so I have to go, which right, Lord? You know, but uh, as soon as I figure that part out, then it's one of those, have you ever noticed, sometimes it says turn right, and it means turn now. (laughs) And other times it means turn in just a little bit. You know, it's a little further down the road. Sometimes I take the wrong right. (laughs) And so I go immediately, you know, or I miss it, whatever. And as soon as I turn, you know what happens, right? The, it's rerouting. It's readjusting. And then it prompts me again to get me on a correct path. What, what if I make the wrong decision? What if I get on the wrong path in my life? See, I think Paul could have thought, I didn't make the right turn. I, I should have gone to Rome and preached I didn't think I was going to end up in Rome in a prison. And it must have felt like he had taken the wrong turn. But because Paul was seeking God, he was praying and he was praising and he had a community of faith that he was working with. He realized he was exactly where he was supposed to be. In fact, we talked about this last week. He ends up saying, what has actually happened to me has served to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
So even though maybe I made a wrong turn along the way, my God did something that I could not have done on my own, and God used it. See, Paul, Paul says we a lot. Not I hope, not I decided, not I, but we, the community of faith. He writes this in Romans 8, 28. He says, we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. See, we. And and here's the deal. What really hit me this week is about wrong turns. Some of you have made wrong turns. It is not going to keep you off of God's path. You may not realize it, but that GPS, God's positioning system, it's recalibrating all the time. It's rerouting, and it's going to take you on a little different path. It makes the corrections. Some of you have been on a scenic tour, let's be honest. And guess what? The Holy Spirit's been recalibrating and rerouting. And the Holy Spirit keeps prompting and speaking and trying to get you back on that path. And here's the good news. You may have taken a lot of wrong turns. But God always, always, say always, always, God always brings good things out of wrong turns. That's how good God is. You know, you end up in those situations and you think, I never should have trusted that person. You got burned, it hurt. But now, you're learning to forgive in your life. You know, maybe, maybe you realize that, that you shouldn't have made that decision. That decision cost you big time. But, but now you understand God's grace in a way that you never would have understood it before. See, God is good enough to work through your greatest mistake. That, that turn that you made that you shouldn't have made. In fact, I was thinking about my life, my life, the, the right destination that I sit in today has been ra- happened on, on the basis of a lot of wrong turns. That's how God works. Friends, do not complicate the decision-making process in your life. You pursue God. You pursue God in prayer. You pursue God in praise. You surround yourself with God's people so that they can speak into your life, so that they can encourage you, so they can caution you, so that as you spend time in God's word, you begin to, to be able to hone things in. But no, you will not get it perfect. Nobody does. You will make a few wrong turns along the way. But you continue to pursue God and do what seems right 
and God honoring, listening to the Holy Spirit's prompts, surrounding yourself by God's people, see God's present, God's working through scripture and through your prayers and through the encouragement of the community of faith that speaks into your life. See, God's working. And therefore, therefore, what are we going to do? We're back here again. This is not only an encouragement piece, but this really is a life verse. Some of you should memorize this thing. And let's just stand. We're going to read this together to close this out. This this has been a life verse for me for many, many years. And, um, And in unison, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Well, I can't. I'm, see, I memorized instead of reading. Yeah, all right, we'll start again. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's bow in prayer. Our holy God, God, I know there are some that they're in the midst of decisions. God, for some, it's a weighty thing. God, I pray that um, they'd pursue you. God, they would uh, seek you in prayer. They'd seek answers in the midst of praise. That they would pull a few brothers and sisters alongside. That, God, you would whisper through their lives. That you'd whisper through Scripture. God, we want to do what seems right. Help us to hear the right voices. Help us to take the right turns. God, I'm also mindful that uh, all of us have taken the wrong right. God, I thank you that even in that, you work, you recalibrate, you recreate. You, you are always looking to bring about the best in our lives. God, that we would just uh, lay those mistakes at your feet. Say, okay, God, recalibrate. I want to get back on the path you'd have me be on. God, we thank you for all the opportunities you placed before us. God, I pray that we would be the church. That we'd be pleasing in your sight with all we say and do. It's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. You may be seated as we prepare for communion this morning. We call it Palm Sunday because uh, about 2,000 years ago, Jesus rode into Bethlehem on a young donkey. And if you've read the story, it says the people cut down palm branches and 
laid him on the ground in front of the donkey, and some of them even took off their outer garments and laid them down, like the royal procession. They were excited. They were happy. They thought Jesus was going to run the Romans out of their country. They get their country back. They thought they knew Jesus' agenda. But that wasn't Jesus' agenda. Because you know the rest of the story. See, Jesus had an agenda for the people then, and it's the same agenda that he has for you and me. The Bible says God is not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. The agenda Jesus has for you and me today on this Palm Sunday is that we come to repentance. No matter how many wrong turns we've made in our life, how many goof-ups we've had, Christ can redeem it all. And the biggest goof-up you'll have for all eternity if you do not accept God's offer of forgiveness while you're alive. His offer to restore you to fellowship with him. Repentance. So if you don't do it today, which I wish you would, the Bible says now is a day of salvation. Take some time this week to contemplate what Jesus wants to happen in your life and the agenda he wants for you. It's an abundant life, not only now while you breathe this wonderful air that he's provided, but for all eternity. So he comes into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday. And then Thursday night, let me read Luke's account of the Last Supper. I norm, we normally read out of 1 Corinthians 11, Paul's account. But here's Luke chapter 22, verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it, they asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asked, where is the guest room where I I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room, all furnished, make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. How many of you ever seen that famous painting of Jesus at the table? It's called the Last Supper, right? He said to them, I've desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you, a common cup. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and gave to them, saying, This is my body for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. 
So his disciples thought they were going to celebrate Passover. And Jesus, on that night, right before Judas betrayed him, he instituted what we consider and call now Holy Communion or the Lord's Supper. So let's take our elements. Let's peel back the cellophane on top. Remembering Jesus has an agenda for your life. But he's not going to twist your arm. He's not going to force you. He's not going to coerce you. He's going to lovingly beseech you to step into his agenda for your life. Saying, Lord Jesus, I've messed up. I've made a lot of turns. I've sinned. And I need forgiveness. I need to repent. I need to come into fellowship with you through what Jesus said was the new birth experience. Let's take the wafer together. Peeling back the other very carefully, as I warned you many times. We don't want to pay for any cleaning bills on our clothes. Grape juice that represents the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's drink it together. Lord Jesus, we're so thankful that you rode in Jerusalem on that little donkey some 2,000 years ago. And your agenda was not to defeat the Roman army. Your agenda was to defeat Satan's grip and hold on human lives. And you did it, Lord, on that Good Friday that we refer to. You died on the cross for us. But just hours prior, you took your disciples into that upper room and you instituted what we consider the Lord's Supper or Holy Communion. Lord Jesus, you have an agenda for my life. You have an agenda for every life that's in this building today. And I pray that we will all surrender and bow our will to your will and that your agenda would begin to take place And we would walk it out the rest of our lives. We thank you for your sacrifice for us. We thank you that you're not willing that we would perish and be lost and go to hell for all eternity, but that we would be saved. And so we confess our sins to you this day. We ask you to forgive us. We ask you to come into our hearts and our lives and help us to be the people you want us to be. And Lord... Give us someone to invite to church next week. Give us the boldness we need to invite a coworker, a friend, a family member, that we might meet them at the front doors and escort them in because it's so hard, Lord, we know, to come to a new church. But we want to see this place filled with people next week that they might learn about the good news of Jesus Christ. And so be with us as we go from this place, Lord. We love you today. And we thank you once again that you love us and you died for us. In Jesus' precious and holy name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. God be with you. Take that challenge. Invite someone to come to church next week. Have a good day.